I had a homiletics professor, that is a preaching professor, who gave us some wide, wise words. He said, when you're ready to preach, pray for good music. <laughs> pray that your anthem will be strong, that your special music will be inspiring, because good music can salvage a really bad sermon. But he also went on to say, bad music can kill a great message. <laughs> Fortunately, we have awesome music here at this church. And I'm so glad that it salvages many of my messages. <laughs> and today may be one of those days. And let me tell you why. It hadn't happened in a while. In fact, it hadn't happened in about 10, 12 years where I woke up and the message was gone. Now, let me explain. Let me explain. There's a process. About eight weeks out, 10 weeks out, Anthony, John, and I began to pray, God, what would you have us share? What do our good folks need to hear? What do we need to hear? About six weeks out, we know what our message is going to be. We plan out the series, and sometimes it's topical, as you well know. Sometimes it is based on a book of the Bible, and that is the case starting today. We're going to be studying the letter of 1 John. True love is the title of the series. And so what we'll do, as many of you know, on Monday, right around 2 o'clock, the three of us will get together and we'll begin to pray and we'll begin to look at the passage and we'll bring some different vantage points and, and we'll tell stories from our own lives that we think may be appropriate and helpful. And, and we'll talk about what's going on in the news and we'll try to synthesize all of that with the, the biblical text and then Thursday, we'll reconvene and say, well, what, what has God brought to your heart and mind? And we, we come to a, to a place. And sometimes one of us will not be preaching, but every week we're all involved in that process. And so what I do is a manuscript, and I enter that manuscript because I want it to be thought through well. And each of us has different styles as pastors, but I like to do a manuscript. And then I kind of function off of an outline on that manuscript. I'll highlight some things. And so I'll have it in place by Friday, Saturday morning. I tweak it a little bit. Saturday night during some good football games, at halftime, I'll enter it into my iPad, and so it's ready to go. It's downloaded. Well, this morning at 5.30, as is my routine, I have my coffee, and I, I simply go over what's in my iPad, and I just kind of meditate on it, try to get it in my mind, get it downloaded. But the problem was, last night when I saved it, it must have gone to some cloud and, and, I, and I, I don't know exactly what happened. I saved it like I always do onto the hard drive, but it must have gone to some cloud, and there must have been some storm system that interfered <laughs> with that cloud. And so when I got up, I had no text, no text at all. 
And I'm so glad that last week I had preached on do not worry about anything, (laughs) but pray about everything. And I was like, dear Lord, you got to help me here. But the message was clear. And that was this, that he had really downloaded it on my heart all along. And so I'm not exactly sure what God's got for us today, but we're going to we're going to enter into it together. Let's pray. God, I thank you that I have a congregation that I can let them peer into the window of my life and they can see that I am very human. So God, I just ask that you would would do the speaking, that you would bring the message, and that it would be clear and unmistakable and what we need to hear. And so, Lord, I'm humbled, but I'm also moved by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your great love, and we ask that we would know that great love even in a deeper way today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Maybe you've seen the reality show Hoarders. It's a condition that one has where they collect various things, many things, and never relinquish them, never get rid of them. And it can actually be a condition that can cause uh, harm for them. Uh, Maybe you've seen shows where they they, uh, depict people where their living rooms are full of just a variety of things, many useless that have no purpose at all, and it is an obsession with them. Well, my wife would not be on that show. I need to share with you, she is extremely opposite of that. I think I could submit a script for Delia in that it would be the purger or the trasher because I believe that there are endorphins that go off within her when she cleans out a closet and sometimes I have to kind of give a little help her a little bit in terms of offering some restraint I, 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 you know baby that's our marriage license you know that that kind of thing and so, and so she'll, uh, she'll peruse and go through, and she's like, well, we haven't used this in forever, and, and a number of things. And, she, and so she, she likes to just take it to goodwill, or to the dump, or to the little portable dumpster outside. She is a purger. She, she's one that throws things out. Well, recently she was going through some things, and and she went through some boxes, and she came across some of my old love letters that I had written during our courtship period and during the first part of our marriage. And I want to tell you, she brought a couple of them to me, and I, I reread those, and I looked over at her, and I said, I was pretty good, wasn't I? <laughs> because I, I was doing a couple of things there in those love letters. One was I was communicating my affections for her, that I loved her. And the second part of that was I was trying to be convincing. I was making my case that I wanted her to live the rest of her life with me, to be my partner. And so I had a lot of work to do. And so I got to tell you, Now, what you may have thought, if you read them, you might have said, that's pretty cheesy. 
but I would have said poetic. I was making my case. And it was getting a little gushy. And I was using eloquent words and I was lavishing this verbiage through written text on her. I wanted her to know that my love was great. It was significant. And I was ready to give that love. And I wanted her to give her love to me. It's interesting, isn't it? The word lavish or extravagant. When I think of the word lavish, I think of how it sounds. It just sounds rich, doesn't it? This week, John and I were talking, John Horton and Anthony, we were saying, how do we define lavish? And John, John's not here so I can talk about him. John said... You know, it's kind of like when I have my bowl of ice cream at night and I take that hot fudge Hershey, Hershey container and I create a molt of chocolate around that scoop of ice cream. I just pour it on. There's no question about my love for chocolate based on the excess that is used. Extravagance, when communicating love, can be helpful. Sometimes extravagance is shallow. Sometimes when we lavish excessively, well, I'll give you an example. The former Tycho International Chief threw a party for his wife costing $1 million. It was held on a uh, an island, and uh, I don't know what he did, but he had a motive. And, uh, and I think of Kobe Bryant, and after allegations of adultery and even a case of rape, he gave his wife subsequently a $4 million ring. And then I think about Mother Teresa. And how extravagant her love was. How she lavished love upon the impoverished, upon those that were outcast, who had been diagnosed with AIDS. Now I think of authentic, lavish love in that way. When I think of how you have been so generous over the last several weeks as you have um, brought your first fruits as you've pledged over the next three years to this revisioning campaign. Sacrifice is relative, but all of us together have sacrificed. And I am, I am so moved by the way you have used your resources extravagantly. There are those moments where it's justified, where you have lavished your love. You've taken something that you love and you gave it to someone that you loved more. And so for us to exceed our goal of 1.2 million, for me, is an expression of your lavishing love toward God, towards this church, towards this community. You see, we are in a series entitled True Love, and we're going to be talking about what is authentic love, 
what is real love in terms of our Christian worldview? How do we receive that in good ways? And how do we distribute that? How do we give true love away? This is a congregation, I believe, that's willing to give love away. Well, there are a lot of motives in being extravagant. There are a lot of motives in, in terms of lavishing upon someone or something. I, I think about maybe one of the motives being that we're in trouble, and it's a penitence. It's a, it's a, it's a sin offering, if you would. It, it's a way of saying, I, I want to get out of trouble, and that's my motive for being excessive. Or maybe others have been lavish in their intention. They, they expect a returned favor. They're looking for something to come back to them. You can have this. This is extravagant, but I'm looking for something from you. And then there is an authentic expression of extravagance and lavishing love. I think of the biblical narrative that comes out of the New Testament where Jesus enters the home of friends. And do you remember, remember the woman who came with the alabaster jar of costly perfume and she came and she poured it on the feet of Jesus? What an extravagant moment and act. And she washed his feet with her with her tears and that ointment in an act of humility. And do you remember the response? Do you remember the reaction of the disciples? They were so proud of themselves. Well, Master, this is wasteful. We could have, we could have taken that, sold it in the market, collected the money and given it to the poor. But Jesus addresses this moment. And I think he says there are moments where you can be extravagant in your great love toward God and toward others. And he says, you know, the poor will always be with you. And I've spoken to that. But today, this woman has done a great thing. God's love has been lavished upon us. And yet we struggle. We struggle when we hear those words that were read by J.C. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. Behold the greatness of the love of God which has been bestowed upon us. And I believe there are a couple of reasons why we struggle with receiving that. Why we in our love tank have a hard time allowing God to enter in and fill our souls. And, and one of those is damaged receptors. Our, our receivers somehow along the way, maybe as a child, maybe through an event, we have decided that surely there are some around us that have not expressed love or they've done it very conditionally. So God must be that way as well. And so we have a hard time because the message is encoded improperly. And the message gets distorted. 
that God will love us if. That God will love us only when. And some of us have entered this place today and we, we have maybe a, a, a low uh, self-esteem or maybe a, a low spiritual self-esteem and we feel I am not worthy to receive God's love and, and so that becomes a barrier and others of us feel guilty because of a sin from the past and we've questioned why we even did it we have regret we've not moved on and we somehow believe that God has not moved on. And so we say, God could never forgive me for that. And yet his love is based on grace, unmerited favor. In Ephesians 1 verses 6 through 8, to the praise of his glorious grace, Paul writes, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves, in him who we have redemption, that he lavished, it's not only in 1 John, we find it in Ephesians, that he lavished on us all wisdom, understanding, and love. See how great. This is what John is saying. You see, John... John is trying to communicate. He gives us a thesis statement, verse 4 of chapter 1. Most every biblical book has a thesis statement. It usually is, is one verse that kind of sums it up. And his is that our joy might be complete. That our joy might be full. And so what he does is he moves in the direction with the subject of love. And he says, look... Your joy is going to be complete when you understand that God loves you and it's a great love that comes from the Father and that it's been lavished on us. Why? Because we belong to God. Because we are children of God. That is so hard for us to fathom, isn't it? My, my daughter sent my wife an Instagram I don't know what that is, but she sent an Instagram, and Delia showed me the Instagram on her phone, and it was exciting because my daughter, I see it as evidence that she's coming into her own faith, if you would. She's owning her own faith, and she, she sent a picture with this text across it, God loves us more than anyone else, and yet He knows our sins more than anyone else. Do you remember the story out of the New Testament where Jesus is in ministry, and He is moving about the communities, He's teaching and preaching and healing and challenging and exhorting, extorting, uh, ex, uh, a teaching. And, 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 and as he's doing that, in the midst of that, he, uh, he gets a message from Mary and Martha. And they say, Lazarus, Lazarus is ill. Lord, the one you love 
is sick. Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, it's interesting to me that they did not appeal in the opposite direction. They did not say, Lord, the one that loves you, one of your biggest fans is sick. They sent a message as an appeal. The one that you love is sick. And I I find it interesting. In the Greek, the word philio is used, which means your friend. The one who is your friend is sick. But what Mary and Martha don't understand is they were, they were taking a good shot at it. They, they had some understanding of God's love, but they could not, just like us, fathom the nature of God. Because every time in the New Testament, when God's love is described, a word, a Greek word, agape, is used. And it's different than philia. Filio has to do with a friendship. Filio has to do with reciprocation. Filio has to do with I do something for you, you do something for me, I meet your needs, you meet my needs, I look for a response as I offer love to you. Agape love is a love that comes from God that is reserved in many ways into the nature of God. It is a love all God's own, if you would. It's, it's, an, it's a supernatural love. Filio is a natural love. Agape is a supernatural love that says, I love you in spite of you, in spite of your response, in spite of any way that you try to repay me. You can't earn this love. And so it's agape, it's unconditional. And so what Mary and Martha did is they appealed to the reality. They had their theology right in the sense that God first loved us. That's what J.C. told us earlier as he read the scripture. God first loved us. Get this, this is love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us. That's agape love. You see, so often what we, we struggle with, and, I, and I'm guilty of this in my own spirituality and person as well, and that, and that is this. We really aren't reading John 3.16 clearly. One of the most quoted passages. Because we'll read it, but what happens is it gets recoded and and turned and twisted a little bit. And and a lot of times in our thinking, we, we somehow believe, okay, for the world so loved God that he sent his only begotten son. Now, we may not say that we believe that, but we really believe that. We think that somehow we petitioned enough or that maybe God thought we were special enough, and in some ways that's true. But, but we were not the initiators of that love. For God so loved the world. And you could take one little word out of that, 
And it speaks to the lavish nature of God and His love. And it's the word so. God so loved the world. He was so obsessed with sending His love. He was so obsessed and still is. For He loves good people. And He's obsessed over good people. He loves bad people. And He's still obsessed in His love for bad people. And it's a relentless love. It's an expansive love. And it's a love that has been offered to you and me. It is true, the saying, there's nothing you can do that will make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God is love, and He has to be true to His nature. And His nature is an agape love. And so this morning, something significant happens. I want to say this. Something significant happens when we begin to understand that God loves us. That He first loved us. Charles Cooley, the sociologist, had what was called the Cooley looking glass theory and he believed that you feel in direct proportion about yourself as the person close to you feels about you okay you have a self-esteem that is based on how the person closest to you feels about you And so there's a problem with that because if there are some people in your life that are close to you or a person and they've sent that love is conditional and love means you have to measure up and love for them has been communicated inconsistently, then you're going to feel all those things about yourself. But get this, I believe his theory is true that if we understand that God is so obsessed And loves us so much that He would give His only begotten Son that I can feel good about me. It's not about me feeling good about me. But the point is that we are able to be a reflection and see ourselves in an image as the one closest to us feels about us. And God has said, I love you. And my love is relentless. My love is pursuing. My love will not take no for an answer. And that love is offered to you. And you see, it's like that old Gaither song. That old Bill Gaither song. I am loved. You are loved. I can risk loving you (laughs) because the one who loves me knows me best 
And I can offer that love to you. And so today, we behold what manner the love that the Father has shown to us that we are children of God. There's the message. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.